Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Do you have a good week? How many of you were in worship last Sunday, and joined, last Sunday and joined me in the challenge of trying to answer more honestly when people asked you, how are you doing? Raise your hand if you tried it at all. How many of you, after about like a day and a half, sort of forgot that that was what you were supposed to be doing? Raise your hand for that, because that I fell into that one as well. Um, we talked last week about wanting to try and live into the honesty of who we are, recognizing that it is very difficult for us to take off our masks from one another, that we want to be known, we want these transformative relationships, this meaning in our lives, and yet we don't make it super easy for us to be able, for other people to get to know who we are. I know I was traveling this last week. I took airplanes to the East Coast and airplanes back. And if you're a pastor on an airplane, you um, end up having a lot of conversation usually. One of the things that struck me about trying to answer more honestly in these little moments of taking off our masks, um, particularly with people that you're just meeting or passing by, one of the things that struck me about being intentional and showing up honestly every single time was that it was really more than just a one-time decision. Like I didn't make that decision this last Sunday and be like, you know what, I'm gonna do that, done. I am now just brutally honest all the time, right? And it sort of took me by surprise that it's not a one-time decision. It's not very easy to shift that actually in order to show up authentically and honestly as we really are, it takes discipline. It's a new practice because we are too familiar and too conditioned to just sort of brush people off and let people Uh, be as as they are, to not want to take off that mask. It's funny because when the pastoral staff decided to talk about taking off our masks as part of building transformative relationships, which are the kind of relationships that Jesus had a knack for building, I don't think that we anticipated that we would be encouraging a practice discipline. I think that we imagined that it was going to be more of us coaxing us as a community toward reprieve to urge us as a congregation to take a rest from all of that energy that we put into maintaining these masks. So for me, it wasn't really until this past week that I realized the challenge of showing up fully as myself was less of me taking a rest and more of me building a new skill. Because when I rested, I forgot. And I went back to that, I'm fine, I'm good, all's well, how's you, living the dream, all's great, what's up, right? It took, actually, it took a real presence and attentiveness for me to show up as me each and every time, particularly in those exchanges that were in passing. So our scripture for this morning is along the same theme, the same theme that we were talking about last week. If for nothing else than because Jesus exercised this discipline of showing up as himself with the people around him each and every day that he was with them, particularly with those disciples, each and every day that he was with them, Jesus practiced that discipline of showing up exactly as himself. You cannot be the way, the truth, and the light without showing up truthfully. And I do think it was a discipline. None of this, you know, well, it was was easy for Jesus. Jesus is God. I I don't think so. I think it was hard. I think it was a choice. And yet still, even though Jesus did show up every single day, 
being the truth. And even though he spent the majority of his time with his 12 best friends, they still had to have this conversation that we're having today in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Yeah. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, for on this rock I will build my church and the gates of death will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Messiah. Which makes it really hard for you to, like, tell everyone that there's good news, right? Friends, if you will, join me as we pray. God of light, please show us more broadly and more deeply about who you are, that we might be able to show who we are more fully and more courageously. You say to us that the burden of following you is lighter than the burden of following the world. And so we pray that we might know that to be true today in a new way. Through all of our imperfections, God, may your truth be known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, there are a few moments in Scripture, a few of them, where Jesus' humanity blares out ahead of his divinity so loudly that we can't ignore it. Even for those of us who have been, who have been reading his story thousands of years after the punchline of the resurrection, there are still moments in scripture where we can see Jesus' humanity leading the way. And this moment in our scripture is one of those moments where undeniably we see the humanity of Jesus Christ. Because what is more human than a person walking around with his friends and asking them to share the gossip on what others are thinking about him. It doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, if you are young or old, if you are at work or if you are at play, we all have some version of this conversation in our lives. It starts on the schoolyard with something like, well, Billy told Sally to tell Jill that he thought that you were really cool. Before it goes to something maybe like in the office of, hey, Bill, rumor has it that you have a promotion or on the soccer field when someone is giving you smack for having your skills deteriorate over the years. And then it eventually goes to retirement homes and communities through a wildly effective word of mouth that is the rhythm of life for many retired communities. My friend Mildred has the best stories from her retirement home, although most of them 
are about the 90-year-old Casanova who lives upstairs. <laughs> the truth is, my friends, that there is nothing more human than wanting to know what other people are thinking about you. And Jesus is showing us here of just how human he is. Now, what we know from the way that the disciples respond to Jesus' first question is that people didn't agree about who Jesus was, which isn't necessarily a surprise. One commentator notes how present-day Christians often take Peter's answer to Jesus about Jesus being the Messiah as this undeniable, obvious thing. She says, We read backward through the lens of historic creeds and well-developed Christology, and Christian faith confirms Peter's answer is the truth about Jesus. But according to Matthew, this answer is a matter of Peter's discernment of divine revelation. It is not the obvious answer for flesh and blood. Today, we do feel like Peter is stating the obvious. When really, in first century Palestine, Peter was confessing something that was completely novel. It's from this moment on that Jesus' ministry takes a completely different turn, an entirely different spin. Sometimes Christians today say something along the lines of like, well, if we were just there when Jesus was doing these miraculous things, if we could just see him ourselves, it would be so much easier to believe, to live into our faith more wholly. But my friends, I really don't think that that's true because being the first person to believe in anything is always a huge risk. And very few people are willing to take that chance on being the first toward anything. Case in point, today, Peter was only one out of 12 best friends to know, to take that risk on believing on who Jesus really was, really is. Apart from Peter's correct answer, we see in this passage that the people in Jesus' time are identifying Jesus with dead men. Commentator Mitzi Smith says this. She says, People identify the Son of Man with dead prophets sent by God who did miraculous deeds, who stood toe by toe, toe to toe with kings, and delivered to them words of doom and opposition and hope from Yahweh. So in the eyes of the people, John the Baptist was the last powerful man of God, but others had to reach all the way back to Jeremiah. Still, she says, they are dead men. Did the people believe that God could not outdo God's self? And I have to tell you that something in that last line really caught me this week. Did the people back then believe that God could not, would not outdo what God had done before? And more pressingly, do we? Do we believe that God's best days are far behind us over 2,000 years ago and that the next best thing that God is going to do is far off in a heaven that we can't touch? You know, we in the church tend to talk about the quality of life over time more than other social, circle, social circles that I find myself being invited into. We tend to compare the past with the present and vice versa. It's sort of like a hobby for people that are in the church. 
Over my many years of in ordained ministry, I have been on the receiving end of hundreds of conversations about how things are worse off now than they have ever been before. Perhaps one of the things that contributes to this ongoing conversation is the age bracket of the church, because the age bracket of the church skews a little bit older than some of the other circles that I'm a part of. And so it maybe makes sense that with age comes travel over a greater span of time. It makes sense that we would compare our previous experiences with our current or future ones. But otherwise, this is a really common sentiment that I hear in the church, that things are getting worse. Traditionalists lament the changes to the social fabric. Progressives lament the changes to our environmental commitments. There are different things that we point to as evidence for the world going to pot, but it's the exact same action pointing in the same direction that the world is going downhill. Have any of you ever heard this conversation in church? Yes? No? Thank you. So I'm going to be honest with you today. I am not really interested in participating in that conversation. I'm not saying that the world is continually on this upward trajectory of 45 degrees, because it's not. Most of the four generations that are alive and of age today have been shaped by some really dark times. I don't need to tell you about that. But there's a different tone that comes with many of these conversations in the mainline church. And it's a tone that suggests that nothing will be better than what has already been known. It's a tone that says with certainty that the good old days are locked in the past and with equal certainty that God's promises are locked far and away in the by and by. And then in the meanwhile, what? We just tolerate it? It's a tone that is a really far cry from the declaration that happens in Acts 2, 17, where God says that God will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions and your elders will dream dreams. You know what, my friends? As someone who is just under the age of 40, where in the church I am still officially considered a young clergy person, I am so desperate for the church elders around me to dream dreams. Because as of now, if the elders are dreaming dreams about the breadth and the depth and the infinite expanse of God over time, if our elders in this church of faith are dreaming about how God is going to outdo God's self next, then it's not something that they're sharing with me. But it's something that I And I believe the church as a whole could really use right about now. And I think that I and the majority of people of all ages who are still participating in the body of the church could really benefit from hearing about the dreams of the elders and then maybe perhaps have a break from the assurances that nothing will ever be as great as they had it back then. I realized as I was revising my sermon that maybe it sounds like I'm picking on or chastising the older set of our congregation, of the church across the world. And so if it's coming across that way, I really want you to hear me clearly. I'm really not intending to chastise anyone. I am really just flat out begging. The church today needs people who dream. 
about how God is currently outdoing God's self. And not just the elders, but also the middle-aged and the younger and the childlike. We need all of us to dream and to vision and to wonder over the magnificence of God. We need all of us to be perpetually curious about what God is up to next, both now and next. In our story for today, the majority of the people who bothered to talk about Jesus talked about him as though he were the reincarnation of the past. They talked about Jesus as being a reincarnation of the past because they could not imagine that God would outdo what had already been done. And so if this story about Jesus and the disciples and Peter teaches us anything about anything on this Reformation Sunday, as we sit here as the church that says we are reformed and ever reforming, if we can benefit from anything within our 2,000 years of hindsight that we now have, then we can benefit from knowing that God always outdoes God's self. Friends, God always outdoes God's self. We can benefit from knowing that the good old days are nothing compared to what God is doing now and next. We can benefit from knowing that whatever our lives have presented to us, whatever we have seen or whatever we have not seen, we are standing in the presence of a God who is not kicked back and watching the world spin into chaos, but who is present and active, still busy out doing God's stuff and still asking us the question, my friends, who do you say I am? May we go out into the world as the people who are living Curious, watching, not waiting, seeking, looking for the God who even now, even as we speak, is outdoing God's self. Please pray with me. God, as we go out into the world and live into this calling to be your people, may we be your people. May we be people who are interested in what you are doing, who are not so confident in the things that we anticipate happening. May we be people who take the risks that we need to be able to step in line with the kingdom that is breaking through our world even now. May we be committed to dreaming dreams and visions and to proclaiming what we know to be true, that the good news is overcoming the darkness that the light is breaking in. May we be part of the light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.